You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a study of Hebrews chapter 11 in a series called Faith Lessons. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. It can be in your smartphone or if you want a physical Bible in the back table, we have Bibles there available for you. You can feel free to grab one. And uh, as you open up to Hebrews 11, I will put down my guitar and we'll get uh, into God's word together. I was really good singing to God. Hope you could feel his presence with us. Hope you're reminded that he's for you. He's not against you. He wants to speak to you. He loves you. Guys, he gave us his word so we could know him. He cares for us. We get to spend time with him. And worship looks so different. Oftentimes we refer to worship as singing, but worship is our whole life. It's giving him moments like this. It's giving finances, giving time and obedience and um, really trusting in him. And we're doing a series on faith, and we're concluding our series tonight. In Hebrews chapter 11, this thing of faith lessons, and uh, really the writer of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus, that everything that we've been studying about and we will continue to study through the word of God is about him. It's about him. And so I'm glad that you're here with us. Glad that you're able to worship God in this way, to listen to the words of Christ. And man, Hebrews 11 has been so rich studying passages of the Old Testament, studying what faith is and what it means to trust God, to look to Jesus. He's given us all kinds of examples, this writer in Hebrews, to learn some important lessons about faith. You know, there's a familiar saying, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. And I hope you're learning some principles as we're looking to these different people. And the method may be different. It may be a different time, but our Lord is the same and he works and his character is good and true. And we're learning these things. And the writer of Hebrews has given us many methods, people, to look at these principles of how God works, how he moves, and what we're saying, important faith lessons. Important for our life today. And as we look at the people of the Bible and study scripture, it is good for us today and our faith. That's why in the beginning of this series, we read to you in Romans 15, 4, Paul, the apostle, he would write this about scripture in these stories that we're studying. For whatever was written in the former days was written in the former days uh, for our instruction that through encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. I hope that when you look to Jesus, you see that there is hope for you today, that there is love for you today, that he cares for you, that he's alive. And and many Christians don't study the Old Testament. They don't want to put in the work. And maybe even some will read Proverbs or Psalms. But the word of God exhorts us to read all of Scripture and look to everything as our encouragement and hope to find Jesus You know, Warren Wiersbe, I've given you a few quotes from him about faith, but he says this, one of the best ways to develop endurance for you today and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and won. Isn't that the truth? Don't you know some people that have ran the race and won, have finished well, and it's encouraged you and helped you move on? And what the Bible says is we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses that we can learn. Not only in the scripture, but in our lives today. And it's good to build our faith up in community. We're such a great part of heritage. And what we're doing is something that is generational. It's it's eternal. It's forever. There will be every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. And we see that the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us now. So just keep studying. 
Keep being in fellowship. Keep learning from the people of old because there are many lessons to be learned. Now, let's pick up in our study the last section of Hebrews 11, verse 32, because he talks, hey, there's some more stuff I want to say to you, but I think I made my point. Moms, you know, probably know this before. There's a lot of stuff I could say to you, son, daughter, but I've said what I need to say. I think you get the point. You can see Jesus through this. He says in verse 32 through 34, or 35, we'll read, and what more shall I say? You want some more lessons? After we went through all these different examples of Moses, Abel, Noah, uh, Genesis, Exodus. Okay, well, for that time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethro, and David and Samuel, and even the prophets. He says, I, I don't even have enough time to break down all of the Old Testament scripture about the lessons you need to learn in faith. Who through faith had conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, because uh, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. You know, there is more to be learned is what he's saying. Uh, you know, oftentimes we think about series, and this is the sixth week we're in Hebrews, but this is one common thought. So when he brings up Abel or Noah, people, the Hebrews, uh, the Jewish people would have known the story immediately and put in the lessons together, and he's just multiplying it, exponential growth. Hey, Jesus is good. He's better than this. You need to look to him. The whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is better. He's better than the law. He's better than the angels. He's better than the, the, the sacrifice they gave. He's everything that you need. And so what more do I need to look? All of Scripture, not only the stories, but the prophets, everything, it's all about him. I don't even have time. Are you not seeing this point yet? He's saying, hey, if you have problems with your family, you may want to read the life of Joseph. You can learn some lessons from the life of Joseph, some encouragement maybe even from the life of Joseph. If you're feeling overwhelmed about your job, why don't you study the responsibility of Moses? See, see how that makes you feel. What, what about if you feel tempted and to retaliate and, and, and go against people that are for you? Why don't you study the life of David? See how he handled the situation. There are many lessons to be learned. Why are we stopping here? Just keep going. There's Samson. There's Samuel, David, Barak, Gideon. And there are many more lessons and principles to discover in Scripture for us. You know, the psalmist, David, in Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm, and it's all about the Word of God. And in verse 162, it's crazy, 162 verses, and there's more in that chapter. It's like the longest chapter about scripture, or, uh, in Scripture is about Scripture because it's so incredibly big, right? And so he actually says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil." Or you may think, other translations say, like, great treasure. Did you know there's treasures of truth in God's word for you? This should be whetting your appetite for you to say, what more can I learn? What effort do I need to put forth to see how God wants to speak to me? A one week is not enough, people. One day spending a moment in God's presence is not enough. What does it look like for you to study God's word, for you to dig deep into the truths of God and to search them out. You know, it reminded me of this island, Oak Island. 
People do all sorts of crazy things to find treasure and spoil. And I had to get my facts straight because there's a major fan in our church and knows a lot of history about this show. Oak Island is a tree-covered island on the south shore of Nova Scotia that has uh, intrigued treasure hunters for more than 200 years. Do you know people are still trying to find treasure in our world today? Now, it is believed that this island is hiding some of the greatest treasure of all time. And in 1988, Reader's Digest, pages 90 through 95, I'm trying to give you some life history, some stories. You could check my facts. It tells us that there are over 200 years of attempts to find this buried treasure, and a company at that time invested $10 million at that time just to sink a shaft 20 stories deep to try to find this supposed treasure. People have been a part of this treasure hunt and put a lot of effort, energy, resources for years to find it, and no one has yet, at least the fullness of it. So much so that people have died trying to find this treasure. It's not just money. They're giving their lives. In fact, several people have died trying to strike it rich, inspiring the name, the curse of Oak Island. There's this treasure. It's a curse. But is it worth it if they find the gold, the treasure, all these different things? And people have actually kept going in search of this treasure for more than a decade. And there are even a whole tourist industry that has sprung up and even a TV show. Hence, therefore, comes in my good friend Zach Wingate, where I got my facts and made me think about this in there. He would love to talk to you more about this show. Jenny knows all the facts as well. She does not like to talk so much about the show because <laughs> she gets dragged in to watch it. That's right, my friends. There are eight seasons. Eight seasons so far that the History Channel has picked up called The Danger of the Oak Island. And after talking to Zach, I just realized digging deeper is actually a sprung off because there wasn't enough TV show and actually input of this treasure hunt that they had to get a spinoff, a pre-show called Digging Deeper an hour before the main event. That's been going on for three years. People do crazy things to find treasure. And so you can actually watch this show where Rick and Marty, their brothers from Michigan, actually spend gobs of money and time and energy and resources trying to get this treasure. Now, it's a silly, crazy, dumb illustration, but think about it. Why do I bring this up? Because God's word is like treasure or spoil. What if Rick and Marty find this treasure? They will have some great benefit on earth. But how much more will you and I, if we spend the time, energy, resources, digging into God's word and searching it out and letting it apply to our lives, will we have eternal treasure for all eternity? It has great benefit for here, but also for eternity. And it's the, tr it's the treasure that we need, and it's not cursed. There's spoil, there's wisdom, there's insight where we can look at and study in God's word. In fact, the book of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, speaks about God's word like this. It says, if you seek it, speaking of God's wisdom in his word, like silver, and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. That's a promise. It's not like we're just wasting our time and if we put in energy and time and resources and seeking God and through his word, it's going to be like, will it slip away? Is there going to be a curse? No, there's a blessing. 
For the Lord gives wisdom. James would say, if you need wisdom, ask. We can go to God. He's the God of all wisdom and insight. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You see, there's more to be learned in Scripture. There's more to be learned about faith in God as we continually go to him and seek him out. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 32 says, well, well what, what shall I say more? The, the time has escaped me. I only got a chapter. I'm trying to make this big point. I mean, I could tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets. He's referring to other people in Scripture, the Old Testament, that we've been doing this long six-week series because it takes time to study these people. Like the book of Judges covers a lot of these people. Gideon in Judges 6 and 7. Barak in Judges 4 and 5. Jethro in Judges 11 and 12. Samson is in Judges 13, 16. Y'all need me to do a study of Judges this week, maybe. Or what about First and Second Samuel? Because he mentions David and Samuel. And then he, he drops sort of the, the, the mic and he just says, and the prophets. Boom. There's more scripture for you. There's more you can study. He's saying, don't forget about these prophets who, who by faith did great things. Because remember, it's, all, it's by faith Moses did this. By faith Noah did this. By faith. What is the faith that we have trusting in God and his word and obeying it? And look at their lives. Look at their example. Find encouragement. Find hope. When you need help to say, can I really trust God? Yes and amen in Christ you can. You can trust God. And by faith, these prophets, they conquered kingdoms. They enforce justice. They obtain promises. They stop the mouth of the lions. They quench power of fire. They escape the edge of the sword and were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. You can read all about that in Scripture. Are you getting encouragement from Scripture? Oftentimes in our culture, that's not where they're going to find hope and encouragement, are they? We're getting the latest tweets and the great headlines. But it doesn't seem like those things are actually adding up to encouragement and hope. And the word of God says, but you could know God. And you could spend time and energy. You could learn from him. And the lessons are to be learned. So don't neglect God's word. Proverbs 1.22 says, how long, those simple ones? How long will you love being simple? That you're going to have this knowledge and this information. You're not going to do anything with it. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Do you love or do you hate knowledge? What do your actions say? Faith can operate in your life. And any person who will declare to listen to God's word and surrender to the will of God. I love that quote. That faith can operate in the life of any person who will dare to listen to God's word and surrender to God's will. And let me just tell you, it takes courage and faith to listen to God, to be still, to rest, to open up scripture and take the time. You're tempted with all of your time and attention. There's so many glittery things in this world. And God patiently waits for us because he spoke. He is the living word. But there's also an important lesson that this writer wants us to make sure we know about. Because he says of this long list of men and women, people of faith weren't always delivered. They were blessed, but they were not always delivered from difficult circumstances. And this is important for us to understand as well. For us to say, as we've been studying, faith is hard. 
It's hard to trust God. It's hard to study his word. It's hard to put your life in God's hands at moments because we fight in the things of this flesh and our own understanding. And there is a sacrifice in worship. And oftentimes we have to sacrifice our own wants and desires and say, Lord, I want you to change me. And I place that at your feet. Look what he says in verse 35b, the rest of 35 down through 38. Because he gave you a long list of amazing things. And then he says, some though, they were tortured. Who? These people of faith. These people that trusted God, they were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated even, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about its deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. You see, it's important to understand and to know that godly men and women, great godly men and women of faith, still suffer. Some false teaching in the church and some Teaching says, well, if you have faith and if you have enough faith, everything will go well in your life. But scripture clearly doesn't teach that. We've even seen how things have gone sideways and even the people that he's brought up are not perfect people. And in the midst of their weakness, God remains strong. And in the midst of people's faith, he says, but some actually get mocked and flogged and tortured. And it's sort of this weird thing of giving your life over to God's will and God receiving the glory, not you. Too often times we come to scripture and we think, well, the good news of the gospel is whatever's good for me. It's all about me. But gospel, good news of Jesus Christ is simply an announcement of what he has done. And we receive that or not. And even when we receive the promises and the good news of the gospel, it transforms our hearts and our lives. But it doesn't mean that the reward is here and now always. It means that sometimes we have to go through pain and go through suffering and our world is broken. That we have to accept that this is not God's plan for us. And in the midst of that, we have to have faith. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, that God, he made his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Meaning bad things do happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people in this world. It's all sideways. We live in this broken, sinful, messed up world. And godly people suffer, including you and I that put our faith and trust in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews confirms this and wants us to know this because he does not want to have our, our hope in our faith and in of ourselves. He wants to have our hope in Jesus and what he can give for all eternity. Because at your best effort, you can be pretty good, but you're going to suffer. You're going to blow it. You're not going to have enough strength for the things that are coming down the pipeline. And God doesn't want you to try harder and do better. He has some good news for you that you could trust him and he is better than your own efforts. He is God, he is Lord and his will to receive his glory is the best for him and our lives. God's word tells us that we will suffer in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, Beloved, speaking to Christians, do not be surprised on a, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Remember how we talked about faith is tested as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's just another side reminder that this is not the end. 
Rejoice that even when you suffer, Christ is on the throne, and this is not the end. It said the prophets suffered because they knew something was going to get better. Do you have that hope? Do you know that the best is yet to come? That this life is not heaven. However much grace and mercy God has given you, and he has given us so much, and we could be thankful for so much having breath in our lungs, it only gets better for you, Christian. For all eternity you will be with God. And this is not Eden. God has promised us to give us hope and there is great reward in God. And just as these men of old and women of old looked forward to the Messiah, we look to the Messiah as well because he is returning and coming again. It said they suffered and believed, but they believed they would rise again. They suffered and believed, and they suffered and believed. So they believed that God would give them a better reward. That your life will be rewarded as you follow Christ. You may say it takes more faith to endure through suffering than it does to escape it sometimes. Sometimes we need to suffer well. Sometimes our trust requires to say God is still good in the midst of this situation. And as we live a life of faith, the goal is not rewards in this life. It's Jesus and his kingdom. And drawing close to him and allowing him to transform us and to worship us or worship him. One commentary said, if God is glorified by delivering his people, he will do it. If he sees it fit to be glorified by not delivering his people, then he will do that. But we we must never conclude that the absence of deliverance means a lack of faith on the part of God's children. You can have great faith and still go through hard things. And this is why in verse 39 and 40, it reminds us of the great deliverance and reward that heaven is our great hope. Read with me verse 39. It says, all these, though commended, all of these, all of who? These people of faith, though commended through, uh, through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. These men and women had this great faith without receiving the promise of the Messiah yet. But we've seen the promises fulfilled through the Messiah. We've seen the prophecies and the salvation. We've experienced his spirit inside of us as we've placed faith in Jesus and had our sins washed away. Now we're in relationship. How much more should we trust God this side of heaven? How much more should we believe that he is real and live for him by faith? And so whether we're delivered or not, there is a better reward for us. You know, I always think of Paul, the apostle. He was pretty radical, pretty sold out for Christ. A good example, um, I would say, of great faith as well. Maybe not in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. And he wrote in Romans 8.18, he said, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, his life, his moment, or not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I think when I start complaining about suffering, I start asking God to help me to see heaven more. I'm not, I'm not, he would even say it's not wise to compare one another. That's not wise because you can be better or you could be worse than anyone in this world, whether it be good behavior or lifestyle or whatever. But there is one that we do compare We compare ourselves to Jesus and we look to Jesus. He says, I don't even judge myself my own conscience (laughs) because 
I don't know, I may deceive myself, but I can look to the Lord and I can know he is firm and everything he has said. So in my present suffering, even now, I don't even compare it to the glory that is to be revealed. And living by faith is like that. It's looking to Jesus and saying, it's worth it. It's worth it, Christian. It's worth it, follower of Jesus. This is, will help you endure. This is the main point. It's not just the principles, but he's trying to get you to the person of Jesus. Now, I know it's not chapter 11, but look at chapter 12, just three verses, because there's a significant thing that he connects this whole thing to. He says, therefore, since, hence therefore, because of all of this I'm talking about, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider, look to him, reflect, ponder, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility, who suffered himself, so that you may not grow weary, are faint-hearted. The author says, because of this, therefore, because of this great chapter, these lessons that we learned of faith, that we've been learning, we need to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us. The Bible wants us to apply these lessons to our lives and to make them very practical. You know, you could define sin as a rebellion of God's will or his authority or what he wants. When you sin, you are not trusting God. We learned about this. Faith is one of trust, but when you disobey, there is an other side. And we as believers still struggle in our flesh in the battle of sin to continue to fight to trust and obey God. And this writer is saying, you need to trust and obey God. When he tells you to do something, you need to do it. You'll endure, you'll be blessed. You need to look at this and obey. You know, I feel like in... 21st century, 2021, the church in general, the pendulum is swung and no one's really talking about holiness anymore. Righteous living, doing the right thing before the Lord, not because we have to, because we get to, and just walking after him. You know, the Bible says a lot about holiness. Holiness, this, this, this idea of being set apart, set apart, consecrated for God, to do his will, to obey him, to love him, to serve him. In 1 Peter 1.15 it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 1 Thessalonians 4.7 says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 1 John 3.3 says, And everyone who hopes in him purifies him as he is pure. Ephesians 4.24, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true holiness. In fact, Jesus would tell us in John 14.15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Where's the purity? Where's the love for Jesus to obey him, to serve him? Why if I come to you and challenge you and say, this is what scripture says, this is what the Lord's will is, would you say that's legalism? It's not legalism. It's not putting on rules. This is what God wants for us to walk in holiness. It's not legalism to want to have rules in place and try to obey God. We should want 
to not rebel against a holy God because we have been redeemed. We've been taken and set apart, snatched from darkness into the light. And now we have his spirit and he transforms our lives and we want to love and serve him. And so when people aren't loving and serving him, claim to be followers of Jesus, there should be some type of standard from scripture that says, hey, this is what's right. Second Peter 3.11 says, since all these things are those to be dissolved, are thus to be dissolved, speaking of this life, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Let me ask a couple questions to reflect on this. How should you be living for Jesus today? If you believe in the gospel that he saved your soul and you're a servant of Christ, what does that look like for you? Now, for other people, it's not wise to compare, but what has God called you and set you apart? Have you even asked him for wisdom to help you fulfill your call? Are you a good example of righteousness? Are you a good picture of being a Christian? Can everyone look to your life and say, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus? What a godly, amazing example. What a loving person. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help us not just to go from principles, but to person and apply this. And we don't just ask questions about what comes to sin, but also, what about this issue of weight? This is such a personal thing because weight weighs you down. It hinders you. It's not sin. Sin is easy. It's the rebellion against God. God says this, don't do it. God says do it, do it. But God is so beautifully personable that he's placed his spirit in all of those that are redeemed. And he works with your conscience and guides you and says, why don't you wake up and pray this moment? Or, you know, what about this person? Or why don't you give this or do that? And he guides us in a very intimate way. It says, therefore, because of this, let us lay aside all the things that weigh us down and the sin that so easily entangles us. There are things for, as a believer, that could weigh you down. I think in 2020, a lot of people have been weighed down by social media. It hasn't been healthy for them. They're going maybe to the news more than they to the word of God. You know, I remember when I was a youth pastor in Washington State, um, I thought it would be a good, I had just the Lord told me, I just out of wisdom, that I shouldn't drink. There's too many young people looking to me. I didn't want that to be a weight, an example, for other people to follow. And it wasn't bad that people around me drank, but for me, it was something that the Lord specifically spoke to. I think of someone that going in our community through AA, they shouldn't drink probably. They may have the freedom, but that could really mess their life up and hinder them. But the Bible says it's not a sin to drink. But there's also a thing, is it wise? Has God told you to do this or do that? Oftentimes, we just want a rule and we want to check it off. And God's like, no, 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 I'm not even going to give you that. You're going to have to rely on me and keep coming to me. It's interesting because when I came here, this is a full of recovery scene. And the Lord told me, you need to drink. You need to show people that you can drink and have one. I've met a lot of people that have died and overdosed and people that struggle with this. Alcoholism. But yet, they don't ever see any victory. So God was like, okay, now you moved here. Show them that you can have self-control in the spirit. Okay, Lord, 
things change. How is your life changing? How are you seeking God? What does it look like? And I think it should be looking differently all in us because it's not necessarily a sin, it's personable. He can personally guide us and we can lay down aside the things that he tells us are in our conscience that are holding us back. Movies are not bad, but maybe God says don't watch them for a season. Maybe sports are taking your life, whatever it may be. This is why the Bible says we're to walk as Christians in wisdom. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, look carefully then how you would walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. God has given you a life and gift and calling. What is the best use of your time? Because the days are evil. So asking questions like what is wise, what is sin, isn't bad. It, it's good for us. But I will tell you this, it is condemning. It's not bad, it's not legalism to ask how to walk in righteousness and how to walk in holiness, but it is condemning because the Bible says that none of us are perfect and we're going to fail. Rules never save anyone. They never free anyone. The law wasn't given to us to lift us, but actually to bring a load, to show us who we truly are, like a mirror, that we are not perfect. The law shows us that we need a savior. And so when we ask these questions of, Lord, how can I live for you? What can I do? How do I do it? We need to read the rest of the verse to find freedom in that. Because oftentimes what we want to do is pay God back and have a whole bunch of rules and try our hardest. And we should. But our hardest isn't good enough. And so in verse 2, it actually says, we do this looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who purifies, who sanctifies? It's Jesus. He's the standard. He's the help. He's the spirit that we need. We aren't to look in and of ourselves for our own holiness, our own righteousness. We're to look Jesus for strength. And as we ask these questions, it should be like a mirror saying, oh my gosh, but I can't do that. Be holy as God is holy? There's just no way. Oftentimes, many people lose their faith or let go of their faith because they're looking in their cells to be hard, stronger and more powerful. And they look at these rules and they say, there's the standard and I just, I can't reach it, but I know I need to and I, I need to pay God back. And God's saying, no, you need to allow me to continue to be your savior. You need to continue to depend on me. You need to continue to look to me. You know what I find interesting when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's a very awesome verse, but it's condemning. Because the Bible says there's no one good, not one. But read the rest of the verse. In John chapter 16 and 17, that's verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. But then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That in light should be a clue that we need some help. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And he goes on and says, now you could abide in me and you'll bear fruit and you can ask for help and you can receive this help. Jesus wants us to obey him, but he wants to walk with us and help us in that. And he's given us his spirit for strength. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. And 16, it says, let us walk in wisdom. Times are evil, Christian. But read the rest of the verse. The standard is holiness. It's righteousness. Do the best that you can. You're calling. But in verse 17 and 18, it says, because of this, therefore, do not be foolish. Figure out how to do it. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Less of you and more of God. Asking God and depending on God is how you're going to become holy. He is the standard, and as you're in his presence, he illuminates his presence and transforms your life, and you become more and more like Christ, and it's relational. It's a love thing. And so the questions can be condemning if they don't cause you to go to Christ. They're condemning if they cause you to go to yourself, and there's freedom in Christ. There's the good news of Jesus that we've been separated from sin, but now we can have the spirit and have empowerment to follow after him and to be filled and to walk in holiness and bear fruit. This realization of God's standard shows us that we need to depend on him more and more and look to him more and more. And this is why in verse three, the writer of Hebrews says, now consider him, consider Jesus. Don't look to your own strength. Don't look to your own standard, your own perfection. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Jesus even had the greatest faith and he suffered, but he did that. For you and I, so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen, walking by faith, trusting God can be hard, but it should cause us to look to Jesus for our strength, for our righteousness, and our hope. And the writer of Hebrews, concluding this whole great section of all these people of men and old, tells us, by faith, now look to Jesus. He's better. Don't look even to yourself for your own strength. Ask the Spirit of God to help you to follow Him. And isn't that the best lesson that we could learn from this chapter? That we need Jesus more and more each day. That we need His Spirit. It's a great way to conclude the chapter in our series. Look to Jesus. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the Savior. He's God that you want to worship. Don't compare yourself even to the men of old or people around. We're all in this together and we all need Jesus. And as we look to him, we can ask for his strength. And the Bible says he is better. He does not disappoint. So let's worship and close out our service. Lord, we thank you so much that we can look to you, Lord. We thank you, God, so much for your word. And Lord, even in these scriptures, we see, Lord, that you endured. And you told us when two or more gathered in your name that you were in our midst and we're to remember your grace and your love for us. And so we just want to conclude our service by just singing and worshiping you and taking communion, remembering your grace that you have for us, Lord. You were so good. You're so merciful and kind. And so we just bless your name, Lord. We thank you so much for knowing that we would not do the right thing and yet loving us, that we would be sinners, unholy, but yet in your humility, you would come down and die for the least of these, for us. You would shed your own blood for us. You would give us the greatest gift, yourself. And we, so we thank you for the gospel. Remember, Lord, that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Just as you have saved our soul, Lord, we need to continue to go back to you, repent and looking to you to do a great work. And so, Lord, help us to examine our hearts 
Help us, God, to look to you. We worship you. We take time, Lord, to stand before your presence and confess our sin and look to you, Lord, for strength. May we find freedom. May we find joy and peace. We realize what a gift it is to worship you in this moment. We ask God for you to be glorified through it all. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.